0: I had a pilot and a podcast I wish I had a strong donkey that can holler ass and travel with portable speakers playing Boz Skats I wish I had a million dollars I wish I had a million albums I wish I had a million problems that way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes I wish I found a genie lamp I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man yeah. I wish I was a comedian late night sitcom syndicated on TV land I wish this well had water in it these kids are stealing all my pennies, focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like, I wish, I wish that every time we love and it feels just like this. I wish, I wish that every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish that every time we it, it love and it feels just like this. It feels just like this. It feels. I wish I had a time machine. Wish I had a better rhyming speed. Wish that I could speak to giants after climbing up a green stalk that grew from a lime tree. I wish that I could spread my wings. Uh, I wish that I had seven limbs. Yeah. That way I'd hold on to everything and laugh when I hear people wishing for the better things. I wish I spoke fluent Spanish. Dime lo At least I kinda understand it. <laughs> wish that I could throw the deuce like gambit and get so large I could play pool with the planets. Yeah
1: hello cats and kittens and welcome to episode 88 of the debrief i am your host brianna joy gray and i am overjoyed as always to be with you here this evening today we tackled a topic that is uh, very germane to the conversations we have here on the debrief and that is the question of a general strike i spoke to on today's bad faith uh free episode a labor historian and author of the 10 strikes that shaped america eric loomis really to get to the bottom of this question that's been plaguing me for some time why is it that some parts of the left perhaps sometimes described as the bourgeois left um, the laptop left etc are so opposed to the idea of a general strike although that's a little unfair there are members i think of genuinely the activist organizer community who also are skittish about the term, but it's really the online left who has so much vitriol worked up over the idea of even talking about a general strike. And I wanted to know if we could do a little applied history and use the examples from the past to inform the present moment we are in. I want to get right to the calls because I know it's not just the episode people want to talk about. It was a fun day on the Hill we had some friends of the show on. Uh, Nick Cruz from the Revolutionary Blackout Network came on, and we had a really great back and forth about uh, whether or not uh, Press Secretary Queen Jean Pierre appropriately attributed uh, the uh, immigration uh, immigrants um, uh, who are now the focus of all of this media attention over the these kind of show show flights. Uh, of immigrants uh, by Ron DeSantis from Texas to uh, Martha's Vineyard, whether or not communism was to blame for their displacement in the first instance. It got very hype. It was a very interesting and fun engaging conversation and it's exactly why those of you who might have drifted off from the hill should definitely turn back in the left is retaking the hill <laughs> the left is reclaiming rising we need you back over there in the comment section there's some good stuff happening uh but let's get right to it karthik you're up first what's on your mind
2: uh well uh brie congratulations on your uh, 80th episode um i feel honored that i'm first in line because i hate waiting three hours which is why i (laughs) I call you and uh nick if you're uh listening to this i see you in the listener queue congrats man i thought you did a great job on the debate it was the best and uh, i just wanted to say that uh, rbn is my favorite channel on youtube now so you you know i love
1: that for you is nick up here i don't see nick where is he
2: He's in the listeners. I thought you were going to make him a speaker. But obviously, Brianna, you know, uh, Bad Faith is very close, you know, very close.
1: <laughs> I am not offended. I'm not offended at all. I'm, I'm okay. thrilled for the space to be getting bigger and more excellent yeah. voices to be more and more known.
2: Yeah, you, You're definitely in the top five. So, so <laughs> no need to worry of my one little opinion. Um, but no, uh, yeah, I thought, you know, I thought it's funny. Um, oh, by the way, I did comment. So I will hope, want the left takeover comments, like you said. And I thought the debate was great because usually – because I I actually see the Hill a decent amount, you know, maybe it's more than some other lefties. Um, And I always notice that Rob – like, Robbie, no matter what the topic is, like, 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 whether it's, like, Yemen being bombed or if it's, like, you know, like some random culture war issue, he's always super calm, you know. He's like, uh, well, you know, this happened, that happened, but we need feudalism and also uh, 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 Amazon is the best corporation ever. You know, that's just fine. <laughs> he can do whatever he wants. But I love how, like, first time ever he got really mad. So, uh, I don't that know was if was the first
1: time. If you were okay. really a regular watcher of uh, Rising Carthage, you'll know that he and I had a pretty animated conversation at the end of one of my radars recently about student debt in which he threw a pin across the room. So, oh, I didn't just, see that okay, my yeah, mistake it's uh, more uh, more reason to be watching rising more regularly but, but what's what's on your mind? did you have any um oh
2: thoughts yeah, or yeah besides because I'm sure everybody's going to bring that up, so I want to be unique so in terms of the general strike, um like obviously I support it because like obviously I, I haven't read much theory, so like I don't know how that would work obviously um, but so in terms of the general strike, like how much do you think that would require? Would that require like ten percent of the workforce fifteen? 520, what's your thoughts on that?
1: I don't know that's the right question. I'm no labor organizer, but it seems to me that we already have a major industry on the precipice of a strike. I recorded an episode today with a rail worker and labor journalist that will be out on Monday, in which he was very open and sympathetic to the idea of a general strike and was very conscious of the level of power that the rail workers have right now because of how essential their work really is. So I think the really the question is, if that particular domino falls as it were, whether or not any number of industries which have already been organizing and striking over the past few years, from uh, collectivo coffee to Starbucks to the teachers uh, strikes and nurse uh, n- nurses nursing strikes and um, everybody else uh, era, the flight attendants, etc, whether or not they will uh, have sympathy strikes, and you know uh, what obviously we talked today with Eric Loomis. About the nature, the the prohibitions against doing so, the fact of them being made illegal, certain sectors being prohibited from striking. Of course, the teacher, teacher strikes of the last couple of years were wildcat strikes, and so it's not as though it's actually prohibitive. But what was so fascinating to me about the interview I did today, and which will be coming out again on Monday, is how not apprehensive um, this rail worker sounded about taking that kind of a leap. I do really feel like folks are very empowered, feel very empowered in this moment because of the uh, low unemployment, because of the labor shortage, because of the nature of the supply chain crisis, because Democrats are basically over a barrel heading into midterm. And frankly, I don't think it's a matter of how much of the workforce has to go down. I think it has to – the question is, is there a – uh, a section of the workforce that is so powerful that they have to be listened to. And in the real workers, I think we have exactly that.
2: Uh, okay. I definitely hear what you're saying. Yeah, I, I guess I'm wrong. Well, I do want to disagree on one thing, you know, I, I think the uh, Democrats are going to do great. You know, we're going to have a blue wave, you know, a blue NAMI, obviously. Um, you think so? No, I'm not being serious. I just want to oh. but, Yeah, I should have done that better. Um, no, I do know people on here that do think that, but that's regardless. Um, but speaking about the uh, 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 general strike again, um, and so I saw it's in your first paragraph. yeah, you're talking about how, how the labor success in the 1930s. Mm-hmm. Um, I see like, like, like even a lot of like, like lefties that like want Medicare for all and stuff, they kind of think that like like all the uh, uh, great parts of the New Deal reforms happened because of like FDR was like, like I guess, nice or whatever on various days and just did it. But yeah, you're right, it was because of there's like mass strikes constantly. There's lots of, like, threats and, like, pressure from the communist and socialist parties of the time. Um, mm,
1: exactly. Exactly, Karthik. And so that – you know, that was – it was interesting for me to talk to Eric Lewis about that because I'm listening to him and I'm hearing him say, you know, over a 10-year or so period, we went from and, – and by the way, without any labor protections, without an NLRB or any of the things that ostensibly uh, protect folks now, we went from – the. Uh, the wild wild west <laughs> and you know absolutely no social safety net whatsoever to a slate of new deal programs and so what does that mean for us today uh, and why are, are so many people talking as though we're talking well we need to be organizing for 20 30 years before something like this happens i'm i'm that I, I don't reject that because i think it is i don't want to work hard because i'm lazy because i want to shortcut i Well, I do want a shortcut, obviously, because people are suffering and many crises. I mean, every life is important. And moreover, the environmental crisis has to be solved in a much shorter timeline than that. Moreover, we have historical examples of how it didn't actually take that long. So I feel like we should obviously be trying to recreate that and and work on a shorter time frame. If it doesn't work, okay. Well, we've already put in part of the work for the longer time frame, but it certainly seems to me that we should be shooting for the moon and landing amongst the stars, as it were.
2: Okay. Okay. a oh, last thing I just want to say is I'm kind of, like, skeptical on, like, how effective, like, like if there really will be, like, a, like a major strike movement. Because I know, like, for, like, decades, like I feel like the last mass movement was a women's movement in the 70s. And obviously, like, obviously there's Black Lives Matter. But it kind of feels like they've gotten co-opted by Goldman Sachs. And um, unfortunately, and I just wanted to say, I know I called Nick number one in YouTube. But I think you're number one in being, uh, being super calm while being smeared as the uh, fake left by certain people we know mm-hmm.
1: That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> well look, thank Karthik, thank you so much for calling in. I appreciate you. Keep the faith. All right, William, you're up next. What's on your mind? Can you hear me? Loud and clear.
3: All right. So uh I was, you know, I was thinking about this issue a little bit and you know, I was wondering. Um I I, I watched uh, Crystal and Sager's, uh live show in Atlanta the video they put out and oh, how one was thing, it? um, I thought it was good. You know, they, they they had you know they the the crowd was seemed to be really responsive to them. You know, they 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 made sure to make it a pretty positive experience. So you know, I thought they did a good job. Cool, um, check it
1: out this weekend. I forgot to read to to take a look at that.
3: Yeah, but um, one thing Crystal said uh, was that you know there's more support these days for organized labor you know then there's been in a while um you know Mm -hmm. even in the early even in the early 2000s it was more divided along partisan lines um and I was guess you know I was wondering what you thought that could be attributed to
1: that's I mean, it's a great question, and it's one that I put to uh, the guest from Monday's episode. I'm sorry that you guys haven't heard, of, heard, heard that one yet. Um, but I think it has a lot to do with the fact that uh, the gap between the rich and the poor is uh, unprecedented uh, since the age. It has to do with the fact that the financialization of various industries, including the railroad industry, has caused them to lay off people and have fewer people doing more work for a smaller share of the pie. And this has happened across sectors for basically all working people in America. We see stat after stat after stat about uh, high interest rates, the inability to able to buy homes, the entire middle class dream is uh, hinged on the idea of home ownership, which nobody can do. We had a segment today on rising about how the economic divide is increasingly going to be defined by those who bought houses before 2020 and those who didn't, um, and uh, Everybody increasingly is able to relate themselves as a worker as opposed to just as a consumer, which is the pitch they've been making to us for decades. You are a consumer. You are a consumer. You're a consumer, and therefore you should be mad when they strike and you can't get your um, deliveries on time or what have you, And instead of seeing yourself in solidarity with the plight of other workers. So they basically pushed us to the brink is what I think has happened. Moreover, in this particular context of the railway railroad workers, they are the most kind of prototypical, stereotypical, classically masculine blue collar, um, perf- you know, workers. And so, even if you watch Fox News or other corporate entities that obviously have an interest in um, there not being a strike, um, they have to tiptoe around that. And the comment sections are very, very positive and supportive for. Um, the railroad workers. And if the railroad workers have solidarity with people in other industries, which I believe they absolutely do, my guest today was so supportive of, for example, the Starbucks workers and was very critical of folks who would smear baristas as somehow less hardworking or less skilled than he is. Then you, there's a lot of potential there for their, for the, for the goodwill that the railroad workers have from the public to be spread across a lot of other industries and shared more broadly. So it's a, it's an exciting moment potentially. Oh, did I lose him? Okay. Sorry about that, William. Uh, Rick, you're up next. What's on your mind? Oh, there's something going on with the app where people are trying to unmute themselves and they're hanging up by accident. Let me bring William back up. William, what happened?
3: I have no idea. Um <laughs> I, I, I might have tapped the screen and it might have uh hung up. Um ah. but yeah, I I I I heard the answer. Um I mean, yeah, you know, I think uh I've, I've you know, I've been uh I remember the uh one Amer was it one American I think it was Newsmax, the Newsmax segment. I think I've heard you discuss it before where you know the one of the workers kind of described like what their conditions were and you know that like no we don't get any days off and mm-hmm. one of the newsmax hosts was pretty you know it was, was pretty shocked um mm-hmm. e- yeah, um but i've also thought about something else and that one union you know one type of union um while unions have been enjoying a lot of public support one type of union that hasn't necessarily enjoyed that same type of support have been teachers unions and i know a lot of that can be probably pandemic school closures but i i've kind of noticed this um b- before and after the pandemic that um you know teachers unions are not i guess don't have as much support as say like a a, a, a rail workers union would you know have units and you know what would you attribute that to i guess
1: well, it depends on who you're talking about, but for the reasons I just articulated, I think that real workers have more support than other people's, other other groups. I wouldn't necessarily say that the teachers' unions are, have less support than, say, Starbucks a Starbucks union. Um, and I do think that it's a little bit of a um, revisionist history happening here because there's a discourse right now about teachers because of the woke, uh, you know, the, the woke Gestapo who are going around trying to smear everybody on the basis of them liking trans people too much. But... In reality, when the teacher, when those wildcat strikes were happening in like 2018, 2019, there was a lot of support for them. And I think on an individual basis, the average person actually feels very positively about teachers, people with kids, understand that teachers spend more time with their kids than they do. Most people have pretty good relationships with them and are very grateful for the work that they do with their children and for their communities. So I actually, if your question is, am I concerned that somehow teachers will get left out or excluded from some broader solidarity movement or... General strike, I don't have that concern in the least. And frankly, I think them actually going on strike and being able to hear directly from teachers instead of just Tucker Carlson reports about how they're mad about some Canadian teacher with large breasts will actually remind people that these are human beings that are being vilified on a regular basis, human beings that take care of their children for more hours a day than they do, and that maybe that will help to push back against some of this abstract conversation about teachers that's happening right now in the context of this COVID pandemic.
3: Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good answer, and I, I, I agree with you. I guess I was just kind of, you know, thinking about, you know, my sc- my school district, and there was a lot of, especially during the pandemic, there was a lot of backlash against our, our teachers' unions, which, you know, I mm-hmm. didn't... I, I, I sometimes kind of understood why people were frustrated, but I didn't really, you know, understand the backlash. I think you have to understand these are people to their own needs. Um, And I have one more question that's a little off topic. And I've been asking mm-hmm. a lot of people, I've been asking quite a few people this lately, and I've gotten some interesting answers, to say the least. Um, <laughs> I think it's an interesting question. And that would be, if if you were to pick one country that you believe the U.S. should model itself after, what would it be? And I know it, it can be a tough question, but what do you think?
1: Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I'm really... I don't even want to answer that question because that shouldn't be the goal. And I don't know it nearly enough about any other country that I've never lived in. And, you know, mm. I, if, cause if I say something, you're going to, if I say some Scandinavian country, Oh, but there's, the Nazis are on the rise. So, you know, look, the United States is very low among, uh, you know, uh, whatever you call it, the global North or what have you for almost every metric, um, literacy, maternal mortality, uh, quality of healthcare and et cetera down the line. So, pick one. Any of them will be an improvement along most of those metrics. It, it's a long list <laughs> of people who are coming in in front of us. Do you have a country in mind?
3: I guess the one that I I guess the one you know I I would say yeah I guess the one that I thought of was Austria. Um, you know, with with Austria they you know I, I guess they have a lot of you know those attributes um like their healthcare system is a lot better um you know they have you know the um as far as workers rights in the global rights index um they they rank really highly um good wages um you know uh mostly um cost of education is a lot lower and also i would say their foreign policy is pretty different to the rest of their neighbors um Mm. you know they they've been i think they've been neutral for a long time now um which i is something i would agree with i I know a lot of you know other people wouldn't necessarily agree with that but that would be my answer um but but yeah you know I, i know people have different opinions about that and i have gotten some interesting answers uh so yeah
1: All right. Well, thank you. Look, if anybody else in the queue wants to answer that question when they're up, uh, shoot your shot. Thank you for calling in, William.
3: No problem. Have a good one.
1: You too. Keep the faith. All right, Shelley. How goes it? What's on your mind this evening? Oh, Shelley. Shelley got self-ejected. I'll look for you in the back of the queue, Shelley. Kyle, what's on your mind? What is going on with the app today?
4: you hear me, Brie?
1: I can hear you, Kyle. I'm glad hey. you're able to make it through. <laughs> What's on your mind tonight? Hey, I've got a quick
4: language mia culpa that your chat set me straight on, and I did some self-reflection regarding... I listened to, to our conversation back a couple weeks ago, and I had brought up one of the three issues that I thought on the left that was, we were going to struggle with in the midterms. One of them was... I quote, the trans issue. And when I listened to that back, I thought, Jesus, Kyle, that sounds a lot like the Jewish question. Okay. <laughs> That's, that, that, that is horrible. There is no such thing as the trans issue. What there is, is a gender identity discussion, which yes, is brought up almost exclusively by the right and so yes, I, I I appreciate your chat for setting me straight on that. And I just wanted to uh that I'm I'm coming around on that. So that was first and foremost.
1: Love the chat. Uh, Shout out to the chat. Yes. And and thank um, you for all your, your graciousness there, Kyle. Well done all no, around.
4: No, for sure.
1: Um I was curious,
4: I have not heard you comment publicly. Um, about and if you have, I apologize, but I was really curious about the general strike discussion. About um, you lived through it. You could have been considered upper management on the Bernie campaign, and I'm not sure if it was a couple weeks out before Iowa or New Hampshire, but wasn't there a field staff revolt? Um, or was it your? Was there some? I don't want to mischaracterize what happened and. I just remember getting a lot of stuff sent around to me about the Bernie, the field staff and um, uh, like threaten if if they had some sort of demands and if not, that they would not knock on doors or call Am am, am I, am I ringing a bell? I I was curious. I I, I
1: honestly, I'm embarrassed to say it doesn't, it doesn't really ring a bell for me. Uh, I wasn't management um and to be honest I didn't participate that much uh I went to like you know the the initial meetings when we voted and that's about all that I really heard about any of that so you know I I I sat in a room on my computer uh and tweeted mostly during the campaign I wasn't involved in any kind of um what do you call it chief of staffy type of things so so you
4: so you weren't on the field side of it oh no not at all (laughs) okay Um. So I guess if you were so, what am I am I wrong that there wasn't a threat of a a, a, of kind of a walkout or we're not going to do this if these maybe there was I can Google it
1: right now. I'm really not trying to be coy. I I I, I honestly I'm I'm embarrassed that I don't remember it if it happened. But I don't I don't remember it. I can Google it right now if you want to see if we can find an article about it
4: are you kidding me? I called into your show when I didn't have my shit together. So I'm not going to have you do Uh, that. Um, Let's um, if that was the case, let's say, let's say, and, and I was thinking from 2016, was Was it
1: 2016? I see Bernie Sanders new political group is met by staff revolt. I don't wait. That was, it was from 2016. I I didn't work on the campaign then. Of
4: course you didn't. Of course you were, you were, uh, of course you were, you're lost. Okay. Let's say that would have been the case and and, and I come and I come from the field side of it as a field director. I'm just saying if would that, let's say two weeks before Iowa, let's say two weeks Mm -hmm. before Iowa. I guess that's kind of where the rail workers are right now. I mean, that is the optimum point of leverage. And as a field staffer, you are working 100 hours a week for shit pay and your life sucks. But this is this is what you've signed up for. But you also have the maximum amount of leverage and, and you're right there. Is that if if the field staff um, holds out for a holds out for better conditions two weeks before Iowa? Is that a win for worker solidarity, or is is that like are you guys doing this to us right now? Like right now, are you kidding me? Yeah, every every towards the goal.
1: Every group of strikers has to has to make the case to the public for sympathy. Like right now the play is the conservatives in both parties are trying to emphasize the harm to consumers and make us feel like it is their fault if we are inconvenienced as opposed to management's fault for not just giving in to their pretty modest demands. And so right now, part of the reason that there's so much sympathy for real workers is because they live big and large in our imaginations. They are historically valued quantity in the United States of America, but also we see them as essential workers. In the context of this crisis, we're having a supply chain issue. They seem very, very, very essential. And also, they there's no question about how much they, how hard they work. And also, they are asking for very little. We're not even talking about wage raises at this point. We're talking about vacation days. Moreover, there's all of this evidence that these. Uh, rail barons have earned an enormous amount of money over the course of the pandemic exploiting the supply chain crisis and that they have used that money to pay dividends out to their shareholders. So there's not even a question about whether or not they can afford it. So all of the narratives that could make the public side with management don't exist. This isn't about some greedy employees. This isn't some quote unquote public sector union trying to get fat off the hog. Like, um, uh, Professor Loomis was explaining today and when he was talking about how teachers, Unions became reviled in the 70s because there was this gap between what private sector and public sector unions were able to achieve with the public sector unions doing better for themselves, causing resentment among private sector unions. None of that exists. So in the case of like a like a walkout on a campaign, I mean, we saw this a little bit with uh, What's Your Face in New York and the mayor's race, uh, Diana Morales, where there were mixed feelings on the left because some people felt as though – the kind of demands that were being made were perhaps perceived to be inappropriate um whether or not they were i don't i can't really speak to that but the feeling was that volunteer staff college kids who aren't doing this as a full-time job expecting to get health insurance was maybe a bridge too far and was inappropriately damning the chances of the only real leftists in the race and da 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 so that's a, that's a pr battle that everybody has to wage
4: well i'm almost disappointed that this strike this field worker strike wasn't a bigger deal to you that you wouldn't like remember it because that is really the only thing that is keeping me from viewing the quiet quitting movement as opposed to a quiet quitting epidemic in terms of kind of just showing up and doing exactly what we need to do and no more. I know that's not the kind of field staff that I would want, and it's not the kind of folks I would like to hire. That being said, I read i as I've been reading "Battle for the Soul," the Bernie book, um, mm-hmm. of which you remain star. They talked about how when he dropped out, a major thing was he wanted to make sure the staff had health insurance through the mm-hmm. end of the campaign, and I that. I had kind of put one and one together thinking that was a concession from before that the field staff worked out and th- because that was something that I know my field staff and then four years before that as a field staffer, it never would have crossed our minds to, 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 it wouldn't even have been a, a consideration. And so um, I, 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 guess guess, um, I don't know. I, I, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't call in with, with, Better shit because I, I assumed that it was a bigger deal than what it would have been two weeks before I.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm sorry I wasn't more privy to that or where that particular concession. I I, I don't remember. And then it ended healthcare- up being in
4: 2016. So it's probably a a circulator.
1: I, I don't know. I don't actually, I don't know if it was 2016. I just did a quick Google and that was the only thing that came up. I, I'm not trying to represent anything at all right now, but I don't remember um, the healthcare provision being part of, I don't remember being like kind of rung at the campaign. I remember it being something that was talked about almost immediately and forever. um I mean, I, That might be a mismemory but I don't remember like wrangling for that. I remember that being something that Bernie wanted to do and which was something that was offered up not not as part of a negotiation but i i I wasn't privy to any of it so i could be wrong about that as well
4: problem well that's all i had and again if it wasn't a bigger deal than what it was i'll throw it up in the chat if i find it because it was let's put it this way it was sent around to me by my other former right wing cohorts about uh, this is wonder why they didn't wait you know they they were Threatening to walk out two weeks before Iowa, and that their concern was as opposed to X, Y, and Z, kind of like a ha 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 thing. And I, my initial thought was actually, um, that
1: is a moment of
4: solidarity and maximum leverage, and I'm not going to poo poo that so quickly.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, look, uh, I'll ask anybody else if you have thoughts and feelings about this to weigh in, but thank you for calling in, Kyle.
4: Brian, I really appreciate it. Um, keep the faith.
1: <laughs> keep the faith, my friend. All right, Rick, I'm coming back to you. You got booted from the beginning. How you doing?
5: Hey, how's it going?
1: I'm uh, doing well. I'm glad you made it through. Yeah. What's on your mind?
5: Yeah, um, no, I, I was. I slipped up on the button there. It just boomered it. Um, no, one of the things <laughs> I've been thinking about... You're talking about labor history and I was listening to your podcast and I've been reading this book uh on and off here about the labor history here. I live in Upper Michigan and there's mm-hmm. um, a lumberjack strike back in the thirties. And the lumberjack strike was instigated by the IWW and the CPUSA in nineteen thirty-seven. They came to like the middle of the Northwoods to like go out to the lumber camps and like crash and like do lumber jobs and salt the salt the lumber companies. And one of the things that they did that I think is really important that like comes like comes in handy now is this idea that like they were using what they called cultural centers or like immigrant centers. Cause there were a lot of uh, Finnish and Swedish immigrants that were doing the jobs in English, getting exploited, all that stuff. Like mm-hmm. and they had um, these cultural centers that they built where they could crash when they weren't be able to sleep at those, the lumber camps they could sleep at the at these centers and they had like kitchens and they had meetings and they could uh the both the mining unions and the lumberjack unions together like used them and they were set up and funded by the communist party and they had like it's wild to think but they had pictures of like portraits of Stalin and the walls are still mm-hmm. like all painted red on the inside
6: <laughs> like mm-hmm. they were like
5: not joking around up here mm-hmm. and that like and um but uh, like the the thing about that is that we need to have some sort of physical actual space where people can organize around and we don't have that sort of thing anymore we're so distant from each other but like you can't you can't eat and live on the strike and that's like always the big thing whenever people t- start talking about general strike they're like well you have to we don't have the mutual aid funds we don't have you know we don't have the the uh you can't do that because we don't have you know childcare. we don't have people on board that, who's going to pay their rent and all that stuff and like it comes up and, and instead of organizing to fulfill all those needs you constantly hear people saying well we can't do it because we don't have any of that stuff which i think is just right
1: it's insane that, that behavior we, Frankly, we raised, wait, let me Google it. How much did we raise in the burning campaign? We, all of us here on this chat.
5: It's $200 million. $200 million. It's,
1: it's,
5: it's twice the AFL-CIO's budget, by the way. I've made this point a bunch of times, like a bunch of a bunch of times. You're, like, a very,
1: you're a very smart person, Rick, because that's a solid point. Like,
5: I, like, I, I, like, I, yeah, no, you, if you can raise exactly, that was like, we, we raised $200 million. That's twice as much as the yearly budget of the AFL-CIO. That's the biggest union in the country. And so like we could, we could double the size of our uh or union like efforts with that much money. And Moreover,
1: not, moreover not, uh, Black Lives Matter raised 90 million dollars in the summer of 2020. Yeah. Like these I mean, are had, huge you know, sums so of raise,
5: money. Raise these big sums of money and like how like what would it take to have put up like a cultural center where like people who get like kicked out of their house because they lost their job at Starbucks for unionizing? like could crash in for a couple of months while their case comes through, you know, like that kind of stuff right. is like important, right? Like we need that kind of thing. 100%. Otherwise you can't really do it. Um, the other thing, I it kind of got buried in the news. I feel like it doesn't get brought up enough. Speaking of like during Black Lives Matter, uh, the, the Longshoremen's Union went on strike and that was a big deal. They went on strike mm. for the, the same amount of time uh, as like the, the knee was on his neck, right? And that was like symbolic. But they threatened to go on strike for eight hours and then eight days if they if they w- there wasn't an arrest, right? And there was an arrest, be, like partly because of that. And it was very buried. And I think that like people forget like whenever the unions do use their power. The The media does a really good job of burying it. Like mm-hmm. there was almost nothing about that when that happened. Like it was I, hardly any press. I think the only thing I saw it in it was like, hit, like the Canadian press, right? Because mm-hmm. one of the ports they shut down was Vancouver.
1: Mm-hmm.
5: Uh, so I don't yeah. know. That, yeah, that, no, that. I,
1: I think that's a great point. It's part of why I wanted to do this co-episode. I mean, this um, rail strike episode with a, a journalist in addition to a railway worker uh, because I did have a bunch of questions about how she feels like these stories have been covered and what her job is like as a labor reporter. So I think that's a really important point and what what the purpose of independent media really should be um, once we put our bickering aside. And that's why, you know, I was so happy to be able to participate in the General Strike Summit with the Revolutionary Blackout Network. And why I really hope that people like RBN and other outlets continue to talk about these issues in a way that isn't just academic, but to put it into practice. And all of these people who are doing mutual aid projects, who are planning protests, who aren't afraid to show up no matter how small the gathering is, that's the start of something, and it takes so much courage and, frankly, a lot of time, energy, and money from people who don't have a lot of any of those things. And so, yeah, I'm glad glad to be here with you. I'm glad for you to be raising that, and I'm glad to be able to continue to cover these kinds of things. In fact, I'm going to make Monday's episode... Um, free, I think, um, uh, so that because it's of um, you know public interest of having this labor episode, and then paywall the thirty uh, the Thursday episode, flip them around uh, for that reason. But I appreciate you calling in, Rick. Yeah,
5: um, what, one one additional thing is that there are hybrid cases. There are people like uh, Jasmine Sherman, twenty twenty four, who's running for president. Almost all of their funds go to mutual aid programs, right? So you use the the campaign aspect. Uh, uh, Kaylin, uh, Kayla. Kayla Herden and what's the unicorn uh, the Grand party? Premier, Denver same, same thing same thing like you take she uh, she took all of her funds and put it towards disability programs and feeding the homeless uh Jasmine Sherman's doing housing uh they're housing like 30 percent of the homeless population in Charlotte North Carolina something mm-hmm. like that with with campaign funds uh that kind of stuff um but yeah definitely looking like that's all there's also a way to like do both
1: yeah for sure i'm looking at so jasmine sherman's with the unicorn party what's the unicorn party
5: the unicorn party is kind of a misnomer see one of the ideas is that like it's really hard to get ballot access as a party because Mm -hmm. it takes so many cycles and so much whatever so they're all running as uh independents right independent socialists but like you get on the ballot as an independent so the unicorn party is a kind of a a joke because unicorns don't exist and the party doesn't (laughs) officially exist it's what not that really there but it it is the national
1: animal of scotland Wales. Yeah. wait a minute i just saw this in a thing was it scotland is it scotland
5: something like that yeah yeah no, sorry no,
1: no. uh kelps let me go google it unicorn national animal of scotland to scotland to <laughs> i'm sorry
5: i was trying to get jasmine to come on here i'm sure they'll show up so- at some point
1: yeah well i uh follow them on uh uh, what do you call it? TikTok, Twitter, TikTok, LOL. Um, and I'd um, love to be. Well, they do the a DMs lot of organizing
5: these. on TikTok. Actually, that's how I found out about them in the first place.
1: Well, I'm. I see that Jasmine and I are both born in 1985, but she must. But they must be a younger 1985 than me because <clears throat> I am not on TikTok, but I am on Twitter, and I look forward to DMing with them. Thank you for flagging, Rick. For sure. All right. T- take uh, care. Keep the faith. And I'm going yeah, to come back to Shelly, who also know. got auto ejected from the front of the queue. Uh, how you doing, Shelley?
7: Oh god, I was scared to hit the unmute button. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> that, that's actually what it was. I used the unmute button that was the prompt and it just auto kicked. I think it I so then I went and updated a map. So I what think- it, what it
1: is is that Colin wants to keep me sharp and it says, Brianna, this is a game, guess who, where you have to just retain in your memory the order of the people in the line so that you can pick them out of the queue later on once they get uh, ejected. But I'm glad to have you up front. What was on your mind tonight, Shelley?
7: Well, no. Um, I really enjoyed the conversation that you had with your guest today, and I also just wanted to shout out Nick, who's in queue. Um, is he, let me let me go. Nick, just come up here and talk with me. Okay, but go Perfect. ahead, Shelley. Yeah. Um, so that was what I, one of my main purposes is to make sure you saw Nick in the queue or in the listeners. Um, yeah, he's he's in. A, he did such a great job on the hill today. That's not Nick,
1: wait. He's oh, in the caller there? queue,
7: he was there. I don't see him. He stopped being there. Well, he down?
1: He, Nick, no pressure, up, or you can come up for a second call, and then go back no, down. If he
7: had seriously called in, he might have done the same uh he might have done the same thing, like maybe just update the app. So chat. Holler at Nick whenever he gets back in and tell him maybe try to update for I don't know what was going yeah, on. With I'm him. happy to bring him up. I'd love to bring him up. But go yeah, ahead, chat. Yeah, anyway, he did such a great job on the hill. Like Amen. Glad I was So impressed. And, you know, and also Savvy did such a great job. She really did. I'm loving, I'm loving this RBI. Like, you know, you go, you take a little bit
1: of a chance, you know, you say to the producers, I have a suggestion. You don't exactly know how it's going to go. You hope for the best, you know, there's guests all the time that I don't think are that great. So whatever, how bad could it be? And then when you're, when your suggestions shine, I gotta say, i am ai I'm am I feel like a proud mama bird. <laughs> oh
7: good, because so we both my, just killed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my first question was, uh, did, like, can you give us like a like a sidebar? Like, did Robbie like throw a pin after Nick went off the screen? <laughs> no, you guys, look, Rob, like is. we're everybody's there to debate. We all know that we don't agree with each other. You oh. know it. it,
8: it
1: it's not the first time Robbie's had an argument about socialism. He believes what he believes. No one's really trying to convince each other of anything at this point. You know, we're all in our lanes and play our role for the you know purposes of the of the show. He's going to be a libertarian. If he stopped being a libertarian, the purpose of the show would end. <laughs> so you know, <laughs> yeah. he's he's a big boy. He can handle it. And you know, it's not like I know the people who are online saying like, oh, this is the last time they're going to n- let Nick on. No, of course not. Like I look forward yeah. to him coming back.
7: Yeah, I hope so. And I and I think just looking at the comments, I think it's enough of an endorsement that the producers will have him back on, hopefully. Uh, 100%. Well, so, and I guess my second comment I guess, was going to be about your your guest. And you know, he he described, you know, that that it was the Communist Party that was that were the most effective organizers. Mm -hmm. during that period of time. Mm -hmm. But I think that there was another part of it maybe that kind of got left out because, you know, you were kind of asking, well, what made this so great? Like, what what was this fast rise that they had that, Mm -hmm. like, 1920s to 1930s? And we often, and and there was also the comment that he made about, like, well, then they found out that they were taking orders from the Soviet Union. (laughs) And I was just kind of wondering, like, if he'd ever considered... The fact that they're that because the Soviet Union was consulting them, maybe that's the reason why they were effective.
1: Yeah, this was a point. In fact, you asked about the uh, sidebar, what the conversation with Robbie was like afterward. That that this is actually a conversation we had in the break about the relevance and importance of international solidarity, um, and why it is that there is there was this emphasis in the conversation with Nick about feeling solidarity with working people across the world, being able to understand the class dynamics of a place like Cuba. So you don't fall into the trap of saying, well, all the Cubans in Florida hate socialism. So, you know, why do you think that they're happy while they're in Cuba? It's like, well, no, those are the rich, this the bourgeois who left and fled because they were the ones in the impressive class. And, and, uh, Gerald Horne had this conversation, um, Uh, Dr. CBS had this conversation on the podcast, like a lot, especially I think the black socialists have a really firm grasp of why it is necessary, why it's helpful to these movements, to have solidarity, not just within your own country, but to have support from other places in the world, other governments, to the extent that other leftist governments rise to power, like we had these socialist wins in Colombia, what a wonderful thing to be able to have support. Um, Mm -hmm. to have people in forums like international, you know, groups like UN to be able to advocate for the shared interest of working people to call out the United States for its own hypocrisy in a way that has happened from time to time in a way that's quite embarrassing to the United States having never signed on to the universal declaration for the rights of the child because we won't guarantee basic things like housing to children in the United States of America, you know? Um, So yeah, like, I mean, it's important. It's important and obviously under an underdeveloped part of the left, but I think why there are so such robust criticisms of certain people who would be left leaders, but who don't necessarily always come down on the right side when it comes to foreign policy in particular.
7: Yeah. The foreign policy thing is especially shameful. And then I think the other thing that I was just wanting to kind of, um, clarify or whatever is he is he was talking about the boring end to the democratic party aspect of it and no that that was not the line like the directive like to me the directive was you run they were running their own candidates and then while you had fdr who was somewhat sympathetic with giving support to the soviet union which the communist party was way that they were analyzing it is that the Soviet Union was fighting an anti-imperialist war against an imperialist country. And mm. so the communists are against imperialist war, not necessarily anti-imperialist war. So they stopped running candidates, and they supported FDR-like Democrats, for, but they didn't run candidates. They didn't go into the party. They just suspended mm. for a second and supported those Democrats, hoping that FDR would help the soviet union mm. and so then the second that that went away they got they stopped supporting for like the progress they were never trying to get in the democratic party
8: mm-hmm.
7: they stayed mm-hmm. completely removed mm. and you know i mean but i it, it, it was it was for a tactical purpose but i do mm-hmm. take his point that that might have seemed strange to the workers that weren't involved in sort of like the foreign policy or the more internationalist perspective, I do see how that policy might have been very confusing.
1: Yeah. Look, I think this is probably, it's funny. Sometimes you interview guests and it's clear that they don't, mis- not everyone understands what this audience is for better or for worse. And I a part of me wondered if he thought, if he, he is used to a certain amount of squeamishness about communism from his classroom or his typical audience and therefore felt the need to like soft pedal the relevance and you know importance and like goodness of, the, of 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 communists and socialists in the context of these labor battles um because I, I felt like it wore off a little bit as the podcast went on uh, but there was, there were yeah. these moments in the beginning where it felt almost, I was like, I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know who you think you're having to downplay of this for, or like, you know, inject a little like snark about communists here for, but like, it's, that's not this crowd, buddy.
7: <laughs> well, yeah, and, and I I thought it was funny, because I thought you picked up on that, because, you know, he kind of said, well, on the kind of road like, he kind of like, they were good organizers. And then you were just like. And the Communist Party and the Communist Party and the Communist Party until until I feel like he was finally oh, okay. (laughs) So you were definitely, like, it's kind of like whenever I saw you go on RBN show and you were like, I know what I'm doing here, guys. I'm trying (laughs) to lead people through the exact same sort of thing that I'm doing. And I felt like you kind of had to do that briefly to sort of steer the conversation where you wanted it mm-hmm. to go. a master at it, and
1: congratulations. <laughs> well, thank you. I always like it when you call in, uh, Shelley. It's nice to hear from you. Me. Nice to talk to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. OK, Rob, you're up. If there's someone else who got booted to the back, who oh, I forgot, just flag it in the chat. But I think I found everybody. Rob, what's on your mind tonight? Hey there, hear me? Loud and clear.
9: Cool. Uh, hey, um, so I really enjoyed the program um, today. Um, that guy's a very good speaker, um, very easy to follow and very lively. Um,
1: I told him afterward that I thought he had a great voice and she started a podcast.
9: <laughs> his voice is like, uh, like you know, people with nerdy voices that are like charming, like irrepressibly yeah. charming. He's got that going on. So, yeah. yeah I For sure. Um, but um, actually, I called in many months ago about population worries before mm-hmm. your episode with um, Mr. Mondrian, I think his name was. Remember that
1: Mr. Mondrian? Oh, oh, yes, yes. That was um, a vegan. Manibo, m- m- um, the uh, British fella. Yeah. About climate. George. Yeah,
9: yeah, yeah, yeah. and I George heard you.
1: Um, mm-hmm.
9: You asked uh, my question, so I just wanted to thank you for that.
1: Oh, oh, you're welcome. I, I yeah. occasionally see some things <laughs> and uh, able to pass them on.
9: No, that that was great. Um, his fonts I have some issues with, but I was hoping I could um maybe just go through um the things he said and uh why I think he said them basically sure not, not, not to say he's bad, but um i I remember his his pushback on thinking about population at all was mm. a bit what I would expect to hear, and that's what I've heard a few times um um, and actually, so, so um, remind, uh,
1: remind people who didn't listen to the episode, sure. and, or who listened to it so long ago that they just have forgotten what it is sure. you're making reference to.
9: Sure. So um, there is a study by um, well, there's been many studies, but there's one study popularized by uh, Kimberly Nicholas a few years ago that talks about the most impactful things you can do to stave off climate change.
8: Mm-hmm. I think
9: the list in her uh, from her research was basically. Number one, have one child or less, because w- with less people, especially the more resource heavy your society is, resource wasteful it is, the more savings you get by just having less people. Um, mm-hmm. Number two was like, don't ever drive, don't own a car. I think number three was have an electric car, then like, a don't fly. Uh, out, according to her research, I think international flights were extremely, extremely polluting as far as like actionable things someone could do to reduce their impact. And then after that, I think was going vegan. Um, and then way, 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 yeah. way, way below that was like recycling, like to, where, like basically it doesn't matter if you recycle so or not.
1: Your, your, your question was to, to George Mon-
9: Uh Well, basically he, he just didn't, he completely brushed off the impact of, of less population. But I kind of understand why um at least I actually emailed uh, Kimberly and Nicholas, who did that research that I'm referencing and her her basic um her basic thesis was when she wrote that piece uh just the 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 global media came at her hard about talking about population, and she found that it was sort of like a great way to end the conversation, and then the people she's talking to don't do anything it's a you know to reduce their impact. And I kind of got that same vibe from him, if that makes sense.
1: Well, I mean, I I don't want to rehash this because we did go through this before, but isn't, I mean, the the argument is that we don't have a resource problem, we have a resource distribution problem. And to that extent, putting the onus on individuals not to fulfill the most basic of, like, human desires to have a family instead of talking about these huge polluters uh, feels really inhumane. And of course, yes, it is going to turn people off the conversation because there's an intrinsic understanding that you're basically saying that my life and the global North with all of my affluence and my ability to take international vacation three times a year, be over your ability to have a child. It's both like a political non And I also think just an inaccurate emphasis if we actually want to address the climate crisis.
9: Well, if you, in my opinion, it's it's not if it's not if or it's it's both really like if you are if you do want to reduce your impact at least you should know the priority the the most impactful things that you're doing and it doesn't it doesn't mean that you shouldn't mobilize against you know lousy policies or not advocate for mass rail or anything like that.
1: But who 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 is it? Who is this being directed to? Because the people when people to talk about overpopulation, they're not thinking about. You know, New Yorkers in a two bedroom apartment. They're imagining somebody on the other side of the world who's browner. Oh, they, 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 and... they,
9: they, they shouldn't because. Right, but
1: those people are not, they have like no carbon footprint at all. So. Well, no, no,
9: I mean, it should be directed towards affluent people, really.
1: Well, right, but it isn't. So, so that's, and plus affluent people don't even really have that many kids. So it's this weird. It's like what? What is actually the goal here? To get the well, person who lives in New York, who already can't really afford to have more than two kids, because they certainly can't afford more than a three-bedroom in New York City, to have one kid. And is every all of those two people having one kid? People in a in, gonna gonna solve the climate crisis?
9: Well, it's more it's more to understand what is actually going on. If, yeah, in my opinion, and I'll just I'll I'll run it through really quick. Um, I don't want to argue too much, but the um. The number of people and the resource consum- consumption as it stands in the first world is already way way out of whack and the the goal is to reduce emissions um and consumption so if if you know if we were at a stable if population levels and consumption were at a good balance as right now and the um, population is evening out there wouldn't be an issue but that's not the case basically
1: is, like, even if is America's population, population up, growing outside of, yeah. through immigration?
9: Well, even, it, even with immigration, as long as you have a higher, a certain standard which you roughly correlate with what nation you're in, it's still an issue. But even so, if you want to, if you do accept that you want, like, you know, you don't want to live in abject poverty around the world, the wealthier nations have to reduce their consumption by, like, a ton and having, if I go vegan and don't drive, but I have three children, then I, I've basically done nothing.
1: Do you have three children?
9: No, but let's, let's just say I did.
1: Yeah. But like what nobody has three children. <laughs> like people, the, the thing that's preventing that's a not... lot of people from having three children is, uh, the fact that they can't afford three children. <laughs> I mean, it just feels like I, like I hear what you're saying, but I, I'm generally just completely not interested in things that don't have a policy connection. This is why I don't care about all of these cultural arguments. Uh, There's a crisis of masculinity. Oh, da, da, da. Uh, There's too many trans people. Okay, even if I agreed with you, which to be clear I don't, what you going to do about it? You can't force people to think differently than you. You can't force people to want to live their lives differently than you. Oh, well, go be sad about it. Cry more. You can't tell people, unless you're advocating a one-child policy, you can't tell people not to produce. People are are already having kids in a constrained way because of what they can actually afford. And there are, uh, like, a handful of people and a handful of companies co- causing all the emissions. And this all just feels like a big frolic and detour from things that feel really substantive and that we actually could be dealing with. So, you know, I, I got to say, I think I, I appreciate we, – we went through this once before. I respect it. If you want to go through the world telling people not to have kids – I don't have kids. I'm probably not going to. So God bless. This isn't like personal, but that's, that's not, that's not my ministry.
9: <laughs> I mean, that's but cool. I mean, you, that's, that's why. All right. Whatever. Peace.
1: No, don't, oh, don't be, don't be, don't be mad. I just, you know, this, we could go in circles like this forever, but you're not going to convince me and I don't mind if you that's, continue that's, to that's hold fine. on to your, to your view. Um, um, but you know, I just, I suspect it's not going to be particularly, it's not going to move us forward in any way.
9: That's fine. I'm just trying to basically pass on what I've learned so far. But if you do want to, um the woman I referenced, Kimberly Nicholas, mm-hmm. who wrote the initial piece and then has since backed away from basically saying what I just said for the exact reason you stated, mm-hmm. more or less. Um, she does have a Twitter and she does she's written a few books about like what people could personally do about climate change because you know, there's no socialist revolution coming as far as I can tell before mm-hmm. it's too late um i thought maybe she'd be a good guest or i don't know someone to poke to poke and see which pick a brain perhaps I'll,
1: I'll i'll give it some thought i'll look into it what's your name again kimberly uh
9: kimberly nicholas
1: kimberly M- nicholas all right thank you rob i appreciate it i will write right. it in my maybe. slack to myself take care keep the faith First of all, some of you need to stop being so thirsty in the chat. Second of all, Bide, I thought for sure that you were engaged. We need to have a conversation about what's ever going on in your life. And third of all, Jonathan, unmute yourself and hit us with your truth, my friend.
10: It kicked me out again. You're here. Yeah, no, it like it literally closed the app, and then I had to reopen it. So I guess oh, I, okay. I got here just in the nick of time. I la- I missed the last few seconds of what you said.
1: Um, nothing. I was just um laughing at um, some thirsty folks in the chat who want hey. who want to have my babies.
10: Uh, well, <laughs>
1: <laughs> what's what's on your mind? Uh,
10: well, point. I mean, there certainly would be a lot to talk about. I'd be here all day if I was talking about how awesome the Rising was this week. But uh, the. Uh, <laughs> the episode like i i detected in your interview and you know maybe i was projecting but it seemed like you were like a little frustrated at exactly the same spot i was which was this we need to organize about it for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years or mm-hmm. or what have you and like i i do understand where some of these labor historians are coming from but mm-hmm. I feel like they, in, in a certain sense, they've kind of uh, failed to think outside the box. And there are some, you know, people in the labor community nowadays, like we had a couple of them on Rising recently, uh, like Joe Burns, or sorry, on um, on Macro and Cheese recently, like Joe mm-hmm. Burns, the author of Class Struggle Unionism, that, uh, you know, basically, like, you, you kind of have to calculate the material conditions of the world around you at the time mm-hmm. uh, that played into... Uh, when these things can be built up really fast. And also, you know, that there's uh, a certain degree to which you kind of, and like, I, I don't know if Nick is even still in here, but that's something he may want to look into too. There are other models of organizing besides the, the traditional labor union model of organizing that kind of have been erased from the conversation because they're kind of taboo. But one of those is actually the... um Kind of uh, leftist communist guerrilla uh, method of organizing, which I'm not saying you need to organize a military unit specifically, but they incorporate as a a core of their organizing strategy, which, and it very much is an organizing strategy, uh, a comms strategy. It's built very heavily around comms. It's it's, uh, both the direct retail type, like uh, almost like an evangelism. And, uh, you know, community relations type stuff and kind of mass market spectacle. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are like, this is a key part of how, and yes, in the text that most of the stuff was written, it was a military context, uh, you know, Che Guevara and, and, um, and Mao Zedong are the, the two most famous little manuals on, on, uh, on that type of strategy, but it is an organizing strategy fundamentally, and this type of method of rapid organizing and taking action like you know hit the ground running type stuff uh, is also a much more aggressive model of organizing and it doesn't necessarily take 10 years especially Mm -hmm. in the right material conditions Mm -hmm. and i kind of like i get frustrated by these like a lot of the people that say oh we got these long long time horizons when firstly like people in this community here, like, you know, I don't need to tell anybody, there's a lot of stuff where the clock is ticking right now, Mm -hmm. you know, there's climate stuff, there's healthcare stuff, there's things that are, you know, immediate threats to, to, uh, to survival. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, these are things like, we don't have, like, long time horizons to slowly build a movement. And we need to, like, to a certain degree, when people say that, it strikes me as a type of doomerism. Mm -hmm. And you've definitely seen people in the online left use it that way. And, Mm -hmm. like, I hate to pick on him because he's always been nice to me on Twitter. But, like, Ben Burgess, okay, Mm -hmm. and that whole crowd, Mm
8: -hmm. okay,
10: like they use it like a type of doomerism. Like, basically, after the Bernie thing, the Bernie campaign ended, mm-hmm. they're like, no, we just have to do the long, hard slog. And mm-hmm. they got really mad at us during the force the vote thing, because, like, we had a point of leverage we were willing to use aggressively. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay? Like, and that's like, getting people over like, the conversation has to change somehow to get people to think outside the box. And maybe, you know, looking at yeah, you know, like I said, I like I think Nick should look into it. Like that's another thing to look at in one of his little summits. Mm. Uh, you know but that I it, would certainly be there for. Well,
1: is there is there something that this is like called? I want to put it in my Slack to myself. Is this like is there like a book or a, I should read or a person I should interview? Both.
10: Uh, well unfortunately like that's what I mean nobody I don't know of anybody that's really been talking about this as a method of organizing or that's that really talks a lot about the history of it like there's a few books out on it but like I read the original manuals they're short like these like Mao Zedong and and uh Che Guevara um uh, you know, they they both wrote little manuals that were that look a whole lot like organizing manuals. They're talking mm-hmm. about how to put together cadres, how to interact with people in the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know how to uh, you know uh, the the value of spectacle and of leverage points mm-hmm. and of of uh, these kinds of messaging actions. Um, you know to uh, to generate attention, to generate buzz, to generate sympathy amongst uh the population and give them hope and these kinds yeah. of like these kinds of things like i th- it's a discussion that kind of somebody's to start
1: yeah uh, i'm so burned out and part of why it pisses me off is because like all i really want to do i want to like pull a thread like this and sit down and read and plan and talk to some of my socialist alternative comrades and and vet something like this and i'm thinking when am i going to do that but I have made a note i'm going I'm going talk to some socialist alternative people, and then maybe also you're reminding me of some of the things that Nader said when he was on back in the day um, yes. about exploiting spectacle and forcing a news cycle and it is something that I think you're right you know me I miss comms and I'm so frustrated that everyone disrespects comms, but it's because of this and when I think a lot of the frustration around the squad members is for the same reason is because the, the 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 thing that they have at their advantage the capital that they probably have in most uh, abundance is their attention getting ability they have a platform and then they don't they won't they won't use it much less exploit it to be even bigger than it is um, yeah and the frustrating comes thing down is, to this is us. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
10: this this knowledge is lost even amongst the left and you hear like even in some of your replies like some of those nasty characters. Uh, from breadtube that like to like to jump in your replies, are you know they get really aggressive at you when you talk about the value of comms mm-hmm. and like that that that's not the leftist way. We have to organize on the ground and and grassroots and blah blah blah. And like okay yeah that's important. Like nobody's downplaying the importance of that. Like but there there's another tip to that spear and it's very very core to leftist history. Okay that you people don't talk about it anymore because frankly it was stamped out during the cold war like you started talking about guerrilla warfare even academically like you got on an fbi watch list mm-hmm. that's just what happened like for for you know 50 years like during the 20th century
1: yeah i'm not saying i don't you know i don't engage in that so-and-so is paid by so-and-so and so-and-so is a grifter and i don't i don't engage in that because you can't prove anything Right. But if I did discover that some portion of that quadrant of them were ops.
10: <laughs> I, I've often not, thought that too. If they're not
1: ops, they're doing a good job of demotivating people. So I
10: have to right, say. and that was that was also, I think, why that scene in the Monty Python the life of Brian resonated so much with people. Because like it's so hard to tell how much of it is that kind of like organic, like people's front of Judea versus Judean people's front. Much of it is you know, stuff that was planted in there because, you know, that stuff definitely has long been part of the history of leftist movements. Like, it, you know, even during the French Revolution, like, uh, you know, basically Thomas Paine, who was uh, part of the French Parliament at the time, you know, essentially had to flee back to the United States during the terror, uh, you know, when the when the far leftists, like the Montagnards, basically started to get real paranoid about the uh, the more kind of like social democrat guys. And some of it was not, turns out, not to have been entirely invalid.
1: Do you have a podcast?
10: I do not. I, I just read a lot. Bu- I
1: know you're a busy man, but, like, I'd listen to your podcast. <laughs> 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 I'm just <laughs> saying. I'm just saying.
10: <laughs> uh, I'll tell Steve to start me one. You know, Steve Grumbine says we have, like, a whole bunch of spots on, on, on cast or Acast or whatever it's called. That we, that we that are currently unused so maybe i should maybe i should start one through real progressives
1: You're, you always have such compelling insights i feel like i always learn so much from you i just I, you know i i'm grateful to have you in these chats but i feel like the whole world should have the benefit of listening to you not just via my college show um well, that's my way of saying just thank you and i and i appreciate you and i'm going to um consider how to how to how to place something forward into an episode or just my personal edification.
10: ask ralph nader
1: i'll ask ralph nader someone else says i should have uh vj prashad at the same time as uh nader and that would thomas. be fun and that would be that would be a banger so let me get on it <laughs> thank you jonathan
10: <laughs> thanks for having me
1: all right keep the faith you too all right thomas que okay, Pasa, what's on your mind this evening hey brianna um
11: I want to uh, talk about a couple things from the uh, from the interview. Cool. Um I thought the professor's history was very interesting in particular in terms of like what he omits, how he tells the history. Um, Tell us about it. So I think it was funny this one moment where he said, "Well, gosh, in the 1930s, they could have never imagined" something so wonderful as the new deal they would have never Mm -hmm. had expectations that high Mm -hmm. no in fact their expectations were that socialism might -hmm. happen (laughs) in ten years right Mm -hmm. not the new deal uh so i think that that sort of gets at a fundamental problem i think with his history right Mm -hmm. which is again is this thing that the millennial left is seeing the new deal as The success as the Mm -hmm. victory, when it was the defeat,
1: the the compromise position. Mm -hmm.
11: Not even really. I mean, it's really like the end of the left in a sense, Mm. Um, right? Because he sort of jumps around the topic of the Popular Front, right? And where he says he says like, oh, you know, the communists they change strategies like from here to there, and it's like yeah, because when Stalin had a pact with Hitler. He said, okay, Communist Party, you have to, like usual, oppose the two capitalist parties. Then Stalin joined the allies, and then he's like, great, now we have to support FDR. That is the reason why the Communist Party's strategies changed so wildly. Mm
8: -hmm.
11: And in that process, Stalin liquidated the left Mm -hmm. into the Democratic Party, Mm -hmm. into FDR New Dealism, into social democracy as Mm -hmm. we call it today, not as they called it then.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, look, is there a historian of choice? I was thinking when I was talking to Eric Loomis that uh, it would be nice to, I was reflecting on the conversations with um, what's his face? Uh, uh, Listen, liberal.
11: Thomas Frank? Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 Thomas Frank,
1: yeah. Uh, And reflecting on Who else might be good kind of go-to historians for this kind of a thing? You know, should we get Richard Wolf back to have a lecture? Like, I like to find new people. I reached out to this woman that I interviewed for the, I think it was for the Bernie podcast, although she might have also been on on this one, I can't remember now, uh, who wrote this book called Knocking at Labor's Door. uh, But she was was occupied. I'm going to have her on later. She wasn't free this week. But I always am interested to hear your guys' suggestions about which – which historians could speak to the history in a way that is kind of close, more, most relevant to our interests, let's say?
11: Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good question. It's, I think it's tough. Um, I, I really like uh, the Platypus Affiliate Society, has a bunch of teach ins on YouTube where they sort of go through like the history of the left, or they'll go through the history of the American Revolution, or whatever. Um, I don't know if any of the members or uh, founders would be willing to come on. Um, many of them are historians. Um, means?
1: It's in the yeah. slack.
11: Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think also, I, I, I appreciate that you got to uh, the question of like the party. To some extent right mm-hmm. where he was like oh well you know they weren't really particularly electorally successful and they were like yeah but uh that doesn't mean that they didn't have an impact
1: yeah that that little dance we we gotta get people to <laughs> we gotta get people to be able to make that connection because it was so interesting it's like he was telling me what happened right he's telling me the history and then i'm saying it back to him I'm saying what he just said to me back to him. Yes. I'm saying yeah. you, you're the one that just told me that this wouldn't have happened but for the socialist party, the communist party. You're the one that told me that it was the third party effort that was so meaningful. So my question was, you know, given how necessary it was to have this outside push and this outside political threat to the two major parties, do you think that the contemporary left is not investing sufficiently? In creating that kind of force today, and then you know when seen in a, in a contemporary context, suddenly you know it seemed different in his mind <laughs> or like the yeah. the importance of it suddenly shifted, and it was it was interesting to see that happen, and I think it was illuminating um, it, it illuminated something about the contemporary you know broad left liberal psyche
11: yeah, exactly, and i think I think there is uh, a need for the market I mean, I think the question is, is the millennial left, I mean, maybe our time has passed at this point, but are we capable of it? And I don't know that that's true, right? I don't know if we can have, if we can create a Marxian party that isn't just like the better Democrats, Mm -hmm. but is actually Marxist.
1: It's such an exciting opportunity, and it is interesting to me that, you know, we play this game of who's going to run in 2024 and who's going to be the next Bernie and all of this. And even thinking of Bernie, it's interesting to me that no one, none of those candidates seem that interested in that project. And I think it's like the most interesting project. Yeah. Well,
11: well, none of them are Marxists either. Right. So for them, it's like, okay, start a new party. What? So we can be the new green parties. Okay. So what, which from their perspective, if all you want to do is start another capitalist party,
1: I mean, I know that we all have our, you know, disappointments with Bernie Sanders at this point, but I there was a part of me that thought he might actually have an organic interest in that as like a third act, like a final act. Like, you know, he I I I believe that Bernie gets it regardless of what he wants to personally do, with you know, in his old age. Yeah, but he's to the
11: end. He's a new left. He's a new left guy. Like that. That was his formative like era and ultimately what did the new left do is say okay well we have to do with the democrats and make them better from the inside like that was
1: i don't know i mean he's a man who spent like 40 years in congress as an independent
11: I, sure I, yeah but caucusing with the democrats and basically running as a better democrat like that's basically what his He wasn't trying to do like the Marx. i
1: mean part. right like i'm not trying to debate who the man is it's just it's, yeah. it's uh, given how how fascinated I am about the prospect of what it would mean to build a third party, and how at a certain point in one's career, it seems obvious to me that that is the most exciting opportunity, not running for the president for a third time or whatever, and knowing what an incredible threat that presents to the establishment like that there's not this like, desire for some people like I don't know i sometimes I think if i were if I were Marianne Williamson. I understand that on some level, if it can feel like a consolation prize to be to have run for president and now to be doing something else entirely, and to feel like you're "quote unquote" giving up on the the big ring, you know, the grand prize. But at a certain in one's life, and in a certain historical context, it just feels infinitely more exciting to think about what it would mean. To to do something as fundamental as building an organization and designing and imagining what politics could look like in an i an ideal world without all the constraints of like Zagby was talking about and these committees and it works this way and you only get on the in you know, the good committees if you're in the in the pocket of so and so and like all of this Byzantine nonsense. To me, there's something incredibly refreshing. I was so excited by the prospect of the movement for a people's party, you know? I'm not saying it's easy, but there's just a part of me that it's, 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 it's interesting to me that more people don't make that choice because it's actually compelling.
11: Yeah. I mean, I I think so. I think it's, I think it's difficult. I mean, I think a lot of people. I think actually a lot of people have attempted in their own way to start the party, right? Which is basically a bunch of the, or be the party, which is basically what a lot of the like smaller, like Trotskyist sects and stuff have attempted but failed at. Um, I don't
1: know that. What are what are these attempts? What who are these attempters? Oh, so like I
11: mean, you still have right? Like the like the Socialist Workers Party still exists and. Um, there's a bunch of, there's like a million, there's whatever. The, oh, I the see what RCC, you're saying. TV, there's, yeah, there's a million. I guess,
1: I guess what I'm pointing to is these folks who have, who command a certain amount of national attention right now, who are still aspiring to run within the Democratic Party and who are also, you know, toward the end of their careers. That sounds so morbid to say. I don't mean it like that. Like, Like, no, I understand sure. the motives for AOC are different than the motives for Bernie Sanders is all I'm trying to say. You know, to the extent that AOC is still hopeful she can make it on the inside, I should hope that Bernie has a different frame of mind at this point. And I don't know. It's like they have something. They have advantages that anonymous people in a socialist workers' party just don't have. And I, it's just – it would be so tempting to me. Like, that. there's no – like, the, the – the part of me that has that, I have an enormous, like, fuck you bone. Like, the fact that, that Bernie didn't have that fuck you bone to just want to mm-hmm. want to throw the monkey wrench, you know?
11: And, and actually, I would say, differentiate him from, like, Marianne Williamson, is that I'm pretty sure Bernie actually knows what the Marxian party is. Like, he was around at a time where, like, that was at least somewhat well known and he was deep enough in socialist circles that he would know what that is. Mm-hmm. But then again, this is a man who's refused to do it his whole life, right? Yeah. So why someone would someone in chat says that
1: They'd be killing people up in here, and like that's true, you know. That's they true. They'd be killing sure. people.
11: Yeah, but but we can't just the left can't just say, well, oh, it's impossible. We just they always just kill us. Like it's like no, we have to. It's our responsibility to make it happen. You know, regardless of what us. the obstacles are. <laughs> I mean, regardless of what the obstacles are, that's just what it is, right? Yeah. That's yeah. the task
1: yeah look thank you for calling in thomas I, it's It's been good chatting with you. thank you all right, Morgan. speak your truth. What's on your mind this evening? I think we give Morgan a beat because the app the app is in its feelings a little bit today. Can some you hear me of energy out there? Yes,
12: sorry about that i Uh, Again, experience the close app when you press unmute on the pop-up. No worries. We're a
1: patient bunch. How are (laughs) you doing?
12: I'm doing great. And I I first want to say thanks for the opportunity to speak. It's super cool. Um, I have two questions for you, Mm -hmm. of course. Uh, Long-time lurker, first-time caller. Love that. I have two questions for you. The first one is is more abstract, and I'm not really looking for a stance from you Mm -hmm. on this. Sometimes when you say things on the internet, people can take it a type of way, you know, Um, but Mm -hmm. really I'm looking just for your perspective on something like this. Um, Something I think about a lot is a strike that occurred in 2018 in the Japanese province of Okayama, and it was a bus driver's strike, and the method of the strike was because instead of it being a sort of denial of service strike, Mm -hmm. you know, it was instead the bus drivers went to work, and they simply didn't accept bus fare from any of the customers at the time, and I'm kind of enamored with this sort of idea, um, because it's it's a unique mode of strike that doesn't just benefit the worker and doesn't just exact punishment on the employer, but also benefits the consumer mm-hmm. in a certain sort of way. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I find myself just fantasizing about a mode of strike such as this, um, in like retail or fast food industries mm-hmm. in the United States. And I just wonder Maybe what your perspective on on that sort of mode of strike might be.
1: Oh my god! Can you imagine? Can you imagine if Starbucks workers did that? How we would be all pouring through the door and just like handing over cash <laughs> that they can just put exactly. in the
0: strike fund. <laughs> it's
12: almost a thing that exists between the consumer, who's also an exploited member of of mm. this uh, formula, right, and the worker. Because I think that that's kind of the great strength of of these movements is that they they really include. Far more than just the worker, right? They include the consumer as well. I, I sometimes I, I worry about maybe the legal implications of a strike like that. Mm-hmm. I feel like the United States, with you know, all of the power they need to to act legally against their employees. But first thing like I a, fantasize about. A lot.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, thank you for bringing that up. That's fascinating. I'm gonna I'm gonna Google that when we get off of here. It reminds me of something when one of the lawyers buyed somebody jog my memory on this. But there's like a thing where if you um, like if you have a client who is disputing a fee, uh, the way you handle it so they don't just get accused of like reneging and you know that they're acting in good faith is to basically just put it in an escrow account that the attorney holds. This was some like ethics. I don't know. I don't remember. It was from like the ethics part of the art exam or something. I've never I had any real world application for me, but you know the idea is like you're you're paying, you're paying the rent, you're paying whatever it is, but it's not going to landlord, it's not going to the person um, who's right. A sort
12: of
1: So it's so it's in good faith. It's like I'm not stealing from Starbucks. Fact, I'm going. Right? I'm giving the money, but we we are making a collective choice as a community about who is here, and I, I right. just I love the good faith of it all. Like I just. I'm, that's a really permutation of that
12: of that idea. Um, yeah, spoken very lawyerly. <laughs> I'm sure that's not a word. But um, and if I might uh, piggyback with a second question, mm-hmm. uh, the second question I have is I guess a bit more pessimistic. Um, something I wonder about a lot nowadays is methods of communication that exist for workers, especially mm-hmm. if we're considering a lot of like retail and fast food workforce as you know sort of Zoomers to, to borrow a meme word, um, and. and I guess I get a little bit frustrated with the amount of uh, sort of oligarchic control there is over platforms like Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and and things such as this. And I wonder, like, what are the tactics that exist to start to build communities of like Signal or like other encrypted app um, sort of communication networks between what are in many cases just like very vast groups of work? You know, if in the retailer fast food that industries, is,
1: for instance. That's a great question. I wish our friend, um, I forget her name. I think she was maybe Somali, who used to come in these chats sometimes. She was like a, a tech guru uh, and used to weigh in about Bitcoin and stuff. But that's a mm. that's a great question and a necessary one because look, I know it's spicy, and I know people feel some kind of way about some of these Greenwall takes. But he's right about having skepticism uh, when PayPal and some of these organizations cut off the money supply to some of these some of these right-wingers like or what is it uh groomers gays for groomers or whatever the heck right they suck <laughs> hard <laughs> but like you know who's next i don't know right. like it makes me very all of it makes me very uncomfortable it's wonderful and democratizing to have you know the youtube and patreon and substack and all of this stuff but it can be over in a blink of an eye Um, The way that we are able to fundraise, the idea of, like, putting together, um, you know, collecting donations for strike funds, putting our Bernie $27 into a strike fund for the workers, all Mm -hmm. of that sounds really great, but it really is contingent on us having the infrastructure to do so. Mm -hmm. You know, the – what is it? um, The banks have all agreed to track the – to track gun purchases, which, you know, maybe is great. I, I can't tell, <laughs> but also there's a part of the back of my mind is like, <laughs> what yeah, else are yeah. the banks going to do to align with, with law enforcement?
12: You never can tell when, when we're creeping closer to fascism. It's really tough. Um, yeah. I, I just, I just want to make one more statement before Chris comes on. I'm, i always look forward to Chris's segments. Um, uh, I wanted to answer your previous caller's question. I think I would go for the country Bhutan. Uh, Because Bhutan has a national happiness because they have a national happiness index and they don't pass any laws or at least it's part of their bylaws to not pass any laws that that can't be proven to directly benefit all of their population. And I think uh, maybe that's one nugget of country that we need to take away. You know, I don't think there's one country that does it all right. But perhaps there's a there's a nugget of truth there for us to take away from Bhutan.
1: Oh, I love that. That's that's very charming. All right. Thank you for that. I'm going to have to think, think harder about Bhutan. I have a good friend from high school I haven't talked to him in a long time who's Bhutanese, and I'm trying to assess whether I feel like he was especially happy. He ended up going to Cornell, so that sucked all the joy out of him, I'm sure. <laughs> I,
12: have a very cool hat. I have a very cool hat from Bhutan that a friend of mine purchased while, while they were on holiday.
1: What's it look like? What makes it cool?
12: Uh, it's just, okay, so it's kind of like a fez, but bigger, right? Which is good because I'm a big man, so I can never wear a fez. <laughs> uh, and it's, you know, decorated with, uh, you know, something you'd need a lathe to create, like a patterned fabric. Uh, very colorful, bright greens, bright oranges, some beiges, some blacks. Um,
1: okay, that, that's sounds just a, yeah. <laughs> that sounds cute. Yeah. That sounds cute. All so right.
12: Much for the opportunity to talk, Brianna.
1: Thank you, Morgan. Keep the faith. Good night. All right, Chris. Hey paza how's it going?
13: Hey, Brianna, can you hear me?
1: Loud and clear. Awesome. Oh, you're so joyful and perky. I was, such a I great was radio certain voice. that
13: mine was going to uh, do the same thing everybody else has been doing because it looks different than last time I was on. How are you doing tonight?
1: I am doing pretty well. It's the end of the week. I'm a little tired. I'm a little burned out. Okay. And we're filming a special project that I hope you guys get to see over at the Hill tomorrow. My girl, KT House is in town. We're trying to figure out some new programming that I hope pans out so I've got a little bit more left in my week but I'm excited about it how about you Yeah,
13: I always love I'm doing great I always love uh, kitty helper stuff um, I'm doing great it's, I'm tired too it's end of the week I'm, I don't know if you remember me I called a while back and um, I'm a middle school teacher from Alabama mm,
8: Yeah.
13: Uh, I had the Betty White avatar <laughs> <You
8: remember>? <laughs> right right <laughs> um, what
13: happened to I Betty used, uh, well I mean whenever me? I created my account it was like right when she had passed mm-hmm. and Um, uh, the reason I was calling really, um, I don't have, I didn't see this segment yet, um, from today. Mm -hmm. So I don't have anything to say about that, except that I'm a teacher in Alabama and I don't even think it's legal for us to strike. I'm not sure about it, but, Mm -hmm. um, anyway, I am calling, um, to fluff you up because you're doing a great job on the Hill. (laughs) Um, last time we talked, you were, uh, kind of reticent to be participating in this project. And I'm so glad that you stuck with it because, uh, my main point for you was that I feel like people like me need great models for having conversations. And you are exactly that. Um, and I feel like you have great rapport with Robbie over time. And um, I just feel like things are going really, really well on that front. And I, I really want to congratulate you about it.
1: I appreciate you saying that. I do feel better. I mean, there are these moments. Like, we had this conversation today. Um, my, the current dilemma I'm facing, and I might end up actually just doing a radar about it next week. Is what does the left do about the fact that so much of the right strategy is to comb through mm-hmm. social media and find the most cringy moments of people being people on the left and yeah. use that as an excuse for why folks should dehumanize the left broadly and not have well, any f- empathy for them as members of a global community?
13: Bree, I feel like the uh, I feel like the corporate and centrist left does the same thing to Conservatives, I, I don't. I mean, that's why. It, that, that's why it's. It's one of the symptoms of our extremely galvanized, um, push everybody to the sides and let everybody, all the, a couple of very wealthy and powerful people and entities take all our wealth.
1: Well, that, I mean, this is this is the issue because the temptation is to say, okay, if you guys want to do a segment about how there was a random guy on a college campus who kicked over a projector when they screened a meme about uh there was a meme that someone made where Kamala Harris goes out to greet the bus remember that clip of her greeting the bus all excited but they superimposed like a mariachi singer with like mariachi music on top of oh, it. No, you know, the implication being, you know, she loves the immigrants, but yeah, also an yeah. incredibly reductive portrayal of who exactly is actually immigrating here, et cetera, et cetera. So right, right. I didn't, you know, I, if you say something's offensive to conservatives, they say you're a snowflake, but honestly, like, it was it was a cringe meme. It was an offensive meme. It was, dare I say, a racist meme. And you know, this this black guy in the crowd gets up and is like, like fuck this racist shit and, like, kicks over the projector and storms out. So now we have to do a whole segment on this because this is of national relevance somehow. Oh, and the angry black man
13: proud. No right. way.
1: The, the subtext is, oh, this man did a violence. And uh-huh. there's absolutely no conversation about why it is that we are consuming these incredibly reductive memes. You know, what was the educational value of it being played in the classroom? Even if you disagree with how he expressed his anger, do you think the anger is legitimate? No, there's none of that in the conversation. So I had this temptation. I got mad today. And I said, well, do this. We have to do. I saw a random video on Twitter about some random conservative woman who was yelling mm-hmm. at some random people in a parking lot who had Indian accents, telling them to go home. And then she reached in her purse and pulled out a gun. So if we're going to do this thing where apparently libs are crazy and shouldn't be listened to because right. one college kid kicked over a projector, let's talk about this grown ass woman who whooped a gun out of her purse and said a bunch of racist stuff to an Indian family. If we're right. going to do this. And we're about to do it. And I was like, actually, no, let's let's not do this because... <laughs> no,
13: no, I feel like that's part the perfectly fine retort for when Robbie throws something up to about that's, you know, the, why are we... Like the Canada giant breast prosthetic story. You know, that yeah. okay, that's ridiculous. Is this even Why are we talking about that? There was another why story that was... Why are we talking, it's not are even we even talking
1: about... It's even in our country. I mean, it's right. funny. Like, TMZ, you should talk about it. I mean, there's obviously... Right. Everyone loves to... You know, everyone loves a, a big boob, okay? Like, everyone right. loves... <laughs> Everyone loves some tick old bitties. Let me tell you, it's the way opical, that I struggled. But the reason
13: TMZ is not doing it because of the possibility of it, you know, looking like they're in any kind of way anti-trans.
1: Sure. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they did talk about it. I mean, like, I think the extent to which we're all pretending that, like, everyone across the political spectrum isn't, like, tickled by this story. Like, I don't think that's really a trans right. story as much as it is, like, a, a, a weird body modification story. Like, people do weird things. People put horns in their heads, and you know, get gauges the size of trash can lids, and like, we, we all we all revert to a, a mean, and when everybody acts outside of the mean, there, there's always a little bit of like social dissonance around it, and people make jokes, and it is what it is. But like, I I, I so there, I was poised to just ask for us to do that, and they were gonna do it, and then I was like, look, this is a clip from August. There's no news value in this. And do I want to do this race to the bottom? You know, is this helping my project to be seen as someone who is unfairly characterizing all conservatives as this one crazy woman? And she's not representative of conservatives. Like most people right. are not shouting racial epithet at people in parking lots and waving around a gun. That is not, that is not tr- true of most people and it's not a fair characterization. Right. But I don't know, other than doing that, I don't know how to rebut the programming choices, the... There's just the sheer volume of look at libs doing this dumb thing that comes down the transom, and well, I, I feel like you're
13: doing it right ahead. in in the recording of the segment. I feel like you are uh, giving the right. I feel like there are probably okay. I, the hill is, is probably generally a little a good bit more conservative an audience, and you're very. Uh, am I right about that?
1: Uh, yeah, hundred
13: percent. Okay, I about that. Okay, <laughs> and you're very, uh, you know, purposeful in what you say. And you're also very purposeful in the um, persona that you take on, and choosing. I mean, I, th- I think it pro- was the right choice, choosing not to do a complete segment on that, um, and just address it. You know, and like, okay, I'm going to give you my funny thing about it, the the big booby thing, and then you know, and then I'm like, okay, really, why are we talking about this? This is okay. I don't even know why it's the story, but okay, it's Canada, whatever, it's fine. I feel like that is the perfect amount.
1: Um, I mean, the thing is, and you can't take, you can't like credit the comments too much. Even the comments aren't representative of the people who view, but a lot of the comments are like, Brianna's always trying to make excuses for everything. You know, why won't she just say this is absurd? And it's like, well, there is a part of me that's like, of course it's absurd, absurd. (laughs) but I'm also going to say like, why does this matter? Weird people do weird stuff all the time, but but they see that as me doing a kind of apologia. You know.
13: Right. They do. They do. But well but they're trying, they're 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 um they are speaking the language that they have been taught to speak. And they're giving the topical response and participating in a conversation and presenting a, a version of themselves that they like and that shows other people what they think and agree with. And that is formulated. Those are choices and they don't, I'm not saying that they're not responsible for their words or that they don't think these things. I'm saying like, <laughs> part of why I'm so happy that you're doing this project is that you're helping people to have a new vocabulary that they're, that they don't have. Um, they're coming to watch Robbie and they're coming to watch um, and and they're also hearing you and you're reasonable and you're careful about like what like choosing not to do the whole segment on it and just speaking a little bit about it within the other segment um and i feel like you were building bridges in all kinds of ways and i know that you made. i feel like most of the reason you probably made that choice to not do an entire segment about it was because of you didn't want to alienate the audience that you've been curating it just
1: feels it just feels it felt gross. It feels ugly and <laughs> gross. Like, and what, what it am doesn't, I saying?
13: the same Leave philosophy it. that you have with the way you were talking with, with Bernie Sanders and winning over, you know, what? we can't go – Bernie's like, I'm not going to go out and tell people that, um, you know, all Trump supporters are racist. Like, I'll call – I'll say Trump, the stuff Trump says is racist, but I'm not going to, you know, paint the whole – because – um you're not trying to necessarily go after these voters, particularly in the way the Democratic Party seems to be going after conservative voters like, oh, we want all the conservative voters, we don't want anybody that's working class um the I feel like they're going after um voters we need to be go need to leave that door open <laughs> like build like i'm i like earlier you said you were um kind of feeling optimistic at the beginning about the People's Party and so was I. I was so looking forward to that and it just it's very disappointing. Um Now if Jimmy Dore does run for president I hope he does it as an, an independent and not like strung to that party because I don't think I don't know it's just it just something about it doesn't vibe right anymore with the whole um allegations and then not wanting to it just doesn't seem like they How want. He going to do
1: it as a Republican. I'm, I'm sorry. If that's. Oh, like, I haven't heard
13: that. But I, I
1: saw a thumbnail, and that might not be true at all. I didn't listen to anything. I apologize if that's not true. But I, th- I thought I saw a, a thumbnail about scratch that because I don't know. Well, if it's I mean, true. if I you were trying, well,
13: if if you were trying to hijack a party, it would be the one to hijack. Donald Trump did it. Bernie's not going to be Nobody's going to be able to hijack the Democratic Party because they're not a, a democracy within like the structure um but yeah
1: well look i I appreciate you calling in. i I think that at the end of the day i don't i didn't do it because it's like not newsworthy and it's boring and just the same way that every time you have to do one of those conservative clips it's like wow look at this person and i'm like "Mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm. this is not oh that's not a conversation piece it's just like looking at an animal in the zoo wow a zebra isn't that something stripes
13: I can I can imagine like it would be nuts like um, if somebody in my community were using that as part of their um, transition like I I don't in my my local community not the gay community but I feel like um, like just because it's a conservative Alabama you know like it would be mm-hmm. nuts and I imagine <laughs> um, anyway I, it's very topical for people it it's salacious you know but. To me and you, it's like, this is just ridiculous. It's kind of funny.
1: Yeah. Well, look, <laughs> Why are we you- spending time on it? Because it's in exactly. Canada. Anyway. It's, just, it's, it's just, there's no... Me and my friends can talk about it and have a good time. I fully plan on asking Katie, if we talk about it tomorrow, the question I could not, for obvious reasons, ask Robbie, which is... What is the maximum appropriate cup size for a kindergarten teacher? Right. (laughs) That's the the question (laughs) that exposes how ridiculous the entire thing is. But it
13: it gave you also, (laughs) it gave you an opportunity to talk about dress codes in general and how certain people are, you know, at particular disadvantages when it comes to what's appropriate. So people are judged differently than other people about what's appropriate to wear, even though they would be wearing... The same thing.
1: There are yeah. truly buxom beauties in this world yes. who, goddamn it, want to give back to the kids. So I want to know what is the litmus test that we are setting here for our educators?
13: How big must they be? <laughs>
8: <laughs> All right, Bri, thank you for you're, entertaining you're doing great me. Job.
1: Keep Have the a good faith, one. Thank you. Keep the faith, Chris. Ooh, now the app's glitching for me. Okay, Amanda, I'm coming for you. There we go. How are you?
6: Well, I'm glad you're in I mean, a better mood, mood
1: than you were.
6: Can you hear me?
1: I can hear you now.
6: Okay. Can you still hear me?
1: Yes, I can.
6: Okay. But... <laughs> um, I'm glad you're sounding better than you were on Monday. You seemed like in a bad mood Monday. But, I can't
1: even remember. When was Monday? That's day? good. That's
6: good. It doesn't do. even matter. Thank <laughs> you for this interview today. I really appreciated it. And because I've been following the mental health care workers strike here in California for mm. now, it's six weeks. It'll be going seven weeks mm. and that they're still holding out. And theirs is not about wages either. It's about working conditions and not mm. having enough staff mm. and and having, having, I'm. once again, you asked the questions that I had in my head, like, how do you make a strike, ili- how do you make it illegal to have a general strike? And I think mm-hmm. the answer was really helpful for me because making a general strike illegal is about, sorry, I've got some folks that are parked in my driveway and being very loud with their stereo in their car. No worries, uh, I can barely hear it. Okay, <laughs> well, that's too bad because it's a good song, but it's really that <laughs> What are they playing? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's got a good beat, <laughs> but but the, it's illuminating because and and also the question at the end about organizing and like well what can we be doing, and so there's a there's a solution there in between because if you make another labor union or a political party, then you're gonna be subject to the rules that are already in place that are meant to keep the status quo, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what you do is you, I know you hate this word, you organize.
1: (laughs) I don't hate the word organize. (laughs) I hate people who use the abstract concept of organizing to do real conversations about specific things that people wanna do that are frankly often organization. (laughs)
6: So you build a coalition, you build a coalition of folks that are, mm-hmm. that are, that are not unions, that are specifically, it's the non-union, non-democrat, the non-redemic hands, right? Because they're not Republicans or Democrats. Mm-hmm. So, so you've got all of these folks that like me, that I'm not part of a union, But if I was part of a union, I can't go out on strike because then that that might cause a legal problem for my union, because that's really who the law is meant to stop Mm -hmm. from having being participating in solidarity strikes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you have to build a coalition of non-union unions. And I think there's a it's it there's so many strikes going on in so many places for just working conditions And so many other things that, I I mean, once again, you're on the crest of the wave with this, with this issue. And I just, I really want to see going forward, you continue to have this platform because it's important to be able to, to, to share some different ways of seeing things. I'm sorry that I missed the rising because I, I'm a new convert to RBN also and I will be going and watching Everybody's that.
1: converting. Everybody's doing it. Look, I, I think they're great. There's a reason why they're growing and why today's segment really resonated with people and why Saiby's segment really resonated with people. So really do go over there, guys, and like and subscribe to the channel. That stuff really works. Like their videos when you see them on the feed. You know, all that So all that
6: the, stuff. The other project I really would like to see happen is the League of Women Voters used to do a nonpartisan presidential debate until the parties took it over
8: Mm -hmm.
6: in the 80s right it would be great if there was a movement whether it came from an a a second tier party or the forward party a green Mm -hmm. party or you know and and having you and Katie Halper and like maybe Matt Taibbi or or some of the or or Nick or CJ there's a lot of really smart folks that could have a really good presentation of who these people are and not just be the republicans or democrats because people are so tired of that mm-hmm. and we're losing we're losing traction in the electoral world at all to get anybody engaged in it if we don't do something radically different
1: yeah, the kinds of questions. What what I was struck by by um, Nick's appearance today was that he was he was asking questions and and in, in putting into the conversation the kinds of facts and framing the issues in a way that felt really fresh and on the offensive. In a way that I think really changed the entire dynamics of the show. And you saw it in the comments, too. I was actually very pleasantly surprised about how many people were with him. Because oftentimes when things get a little bombastic, the audience will will default to, oh, someone had to yell. Like, here comes black people screaming. Like, they love to do that sort of thing every time I, you know, get frustrated or anything. But, like, they were – there was something about, I think, the framing – nick used and also the affirmative unapologetic case that he made that had an undeniable logic even for an audience that is not at all disposed to like communism or socialism or cuba or venezuela or anything of the sort and when we were talking a little bit ago with the last caller about how to get past the kind of libs of tiktok Uh, woke scolding politics that is so pervasive right now I do think it has to do with making an affirmative case like that and not trying to fight fire with you know fight fight back on their turf but by changing the conversation to one that is more relevant to people's lives than whether or not there is a book a buxom Canadian broad in a high school somewhere in Manitoba
6: I, 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 indeed I complete, at least she's not teaching pole dancing for the PE class right Well, so, be some good exercise. <laughs> <laughs> let me not get dry That's, I don't want to fight that battle I'm not going okay. out over pole dancing classes So class. I just I just want to give a plug can I just use two two seconds for a plug for the railroad workers the yeah, United of course. Railroad of course. so Railroad Workers United go follow them on Twitter um, when I listened to an interview um, on, on um, This Machine Kills, the person they were interviewing said, the fundamental issues cannot be resolved without changing the way we run the railroads in the U.S. There isn't a solution that doesn't involve a complete revolution. And if you follow the Railroad Workers United, if you go to their website, you can sign up for their For their newsletter and i've been getting it's been very helpful and interesting and and there is a lot going on if you want to prepare for brianna joy gray's show on monday then just follow and check out railroad workers united it will give you a good foundation for the conversation i'm sure that will be very good i'm looking forward to it i
1: I love that and by the way thank thank you amanda and you guys will hear this on Monday's episode, but they uh, they have a, 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 something called solidarity membership to the union. So for twenty five dollars, I think it's just twenty five dollars a year. Um, you can you know support the union, support the strike fund by becoming a solidarity member. And he he, he reads the uh, link into the episode. Uh, but awesome. yeah, go ahead and follow along. Be prepared. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you.
6: Yeah, I appreciate you. Keep the faith.
1: Keep the faith. All right, Sebs, what's up? You know, my mother hates it when I say what's up. If I if she calls me and I say what's up, like kind of jokingly, she's like, "What do you think? I'm not. You're not talking to one of your little friends." (laughs) But we don't have like a formalized relationship like that. But like, I'm like, "Mom, okay, fine. I won't be saying what's up to you." Yes, Sebs, I can hear you. What's on your mind?
14: Okay, I've been trying to call since your debate with Chank, so I just wanted to open up with fuck Chank Yuger. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to, I appreciate okay? appreciate your support. That was a very, very infuriating conversation. <laughs> yeah. Look,
1: have you caught, did you manage to catch friend of the show, um, Olaimi olerin? Uh, going on Young Turks with both Cenk and Anna talking about this whole criminal justice mishap that's been going on for the past couple of weeks on the line. Sorry,
14: I do not engage with the Young Turks at all.
1: <laughs> well, that's another one. But if you enjoyed I will check it out
14: just because you have recommended it.
1: Oh, you're such a dear. You'll, you, I think you'll enjoy it. It's for your, it's for your benefit. I promise.
14: <laughs> I swear, <laughs> if I get mad watching that, I. Mm,
1: well you're gonna get mad you're, you're gonna get mad. but she does That's a great idiot. job she's great i think she's terrific
14: okay the first thing that i wanted to bring up was do you not put links in the description of the bad faith episodes on youtube
1: i hear what you're saying what you're <laughs> saying to me is it seems like you don't post to the bad faith instagram anymore you never check the messages on the patreon anymore. You tweet less. Uh, It's almost as though you're overwhelmed. And I can tell because (laughs) it's affecting the quality of your output. And I would say to you, Sebs, that is an astute observation. (laughs) I (laughs) do feel (laughs) stretched a little thin. And there have been corners cut.
14: Okay, fair. Because I know, like, as much as it can be seen as, like, a simple thing to do, like, when you're actually uploading so much, the description, when you don't have just a copy-paste thing, can be like, can take a lot of time. So, fair. Yeah, writing
1: copy, you guys don't, I mean, I shouldn't say you guys understand. Many of you have podcasts and you write all kinds of things for your jobs. But it, it, it feels like, I'll, I'll wake up one day and think, oh, I don't have much to do today. All I have to do, you know, I don't have a, let's say it's like a Wednesday. Oh, I don't have a call-in. I don't, you know, all I have to do is go to the Hill. I may or may not have a Bad Faith episode scheduled to record that day. I'm done with work by 12. What else is there to do? I'm free <laughs> as a bird. And then I'm like, oh, no, I got to post.
8: <laughs>
1: yeah. I got I to got post yeah, clips on a regular basis to Twitter. I got to write the copy for Twitter. Just... I got to write the po- copy for Instagram. I got to make the mm-hmm. Instagram post with the link mm-hmm. in it for the call-in for the next day. And, and all of that stuff it weirdly just sucks up time. Like an hour has gone by and I've just been posting to Instagram. It makes me insane. Yeah, I hate literally. posting. <laughs>
14: <laughs> like people think it's just click, but no, it's like waiting for it to upload if it's a video yep. coming up with the description. Yep. Like f- for Instagram, like you have to fit it nicely. If you, if, when you have an aesthetic in your Instagram, you're Oh, do the, the aesthetic's long
1: gone. Like, <laughs> LOL. I used to be trying to do a kind of a purpley thing.
14: <laughs> like, oh now goodness.
1: I just stick those links right on there. <laughs> I'm very boomer about it.
14: Yeah, and the other thing about social media that I wanted to bring up is that every time I look you up on YouTube, like if I look up Brianna Joy Gray, bad face doesn't come up. It comes up videos about you. And I don't yeah. know if it's because you don't tag your name in the videos or it's just. The algorithm so being...
1: this is something that I have flagged at various points for producers, but I don't always check up on. I agree, it's uh, frustrating. Look, there's the producer is also stretched thin. <laughs> Armand, poor Armand. <laughs> like we're all. I what I'm saying is I need to hire somebody else. But who has the bandwidth to hire somebody? <laughs> 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 I'm stuck in a vicious cycle, is what I'm trying to say. But I'm, I, have, I have plans, I have a plan, I have things shifting that I am hopeful will free me up. I am planning to consolidate my life hopefully shortly in a way that gets me some things that I need. Like another either bad faith employee or somebody else that is helping with some of this stuff and or some kind of agent type figure to manage some mm. other aspects of my career in some of these emails that I'd be ignoring. Shout out to Vanessa AB previously writing a writer for current affairs. who's written this great book and who I've been ducking and dodging because I'm supposed to do something for her book, <laughs> her book party uh, next month. I mean, it's like everybody It's coming out of uh, I need to respond to Ben, ben Shapiro, yeah. Megan Kelly. Uh, things are <laughs> happening. I have got a post from Glenn. I need to get back to some people. No, but this is,
14: this is an ironically why like famous people have like a swat of people of like an agent, an assistant, a manager and all of that. Because there are a lot of things that people in working in media more than anything have to do and you don't have time, right? Like you literally don't have time to do. Yeah. And then you have to consume.
1: The other thing is one one of the things I had to come to terms with when I started and when I realized, oh, this is my actual job, uh, was that so much of it is consuming content, right? Like consuming mm-hmm. all the other creators' content to know what's working, what doesn't work. It's like market research. You have to consume the news. I mean, in an and, ideal yeah, world, just, I would watch just for the so much to stay more up
14: to date. Yeah,
1: yeah to re- you got to read books. You got to read all the articles. <laughs> you know, like you got to re- You got to read the stuff. And when you don't, you can tell. Your content set yeah. is good. Your, your analysis is superficial. And, and God forbid you actually try to be a writer in the middle of all of that. Poor Nathan <laughs> Robinson. He's like, he flips some of my radars into articles and he'll be like, okay, do you want to give this a once over so I can publish it? And then like two weeks goes by and I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> I guess I should put some eyes on this draft. Whatever, just publish it. I'm sure it's fine, Nathan. Like, that's where <laughs> I am right now. And I'm usually, I was, I was so precious about my writing when I was writing for real. I can't believe I've gotten to this place where I'm just like, here's this radar that I drafted at midnight last night <laughs> with typos well, and no bad. punctuation because I, I read it. You know, I read it. I didn't, like, I didn't intend for it to be published. So it's, like, yeah, all over the when place. When I started
14: college, I would, like, take, like, days before I would hand something over. And by the end of it, I would be like two hours writing this, and I'm sending this. I don't care if it's like if there are typos, as long as it's it meets the requirements to pass, it's it. it's it's done. Yeah, but, yeah. well I,
1: I my my best friend is a Virgo, and she's very organized, and uh, she recently oh, um, the good we
14: started with.
1: Yeah, she was <laughs> she love... was with me. She came to visit my family in Cleveland over the Memorial labor day labor day uh, over Mm -hmm. labor day and um my mom has started a a business as well she left her job like two two years ago to start her own business and meredith like my mom just moved to cleveland right so the house isn't all together and apparently meredith like redid the kitchen so so my mom and i came back to dc while meredith was still there Uh, my mom had a job in dc and i came back because i had to come back for work And Meredith stayed a few extra days because she had driven all the way out from Massachusetts. So while it was just Meredith and the boys at the house, my stepfather and brother, she apparently, like, reorganized the kitchen and did all this stuff. And my mom got home and was like, Brianna, I can't afford to hire Meredith and you can't afford to hire Meredith, but we could share Meredith. (laughs) (laughs) If we both pay half of a Meredith, we could get (laughs) Meredith permanently in our professional lives. And I was like, no. I'm working on it. <laughs> it's not a bad plan. <laughs> so I'm, I'm working on a Meredith. I'm going to get a Meredith and everything's going to be fine. I'm working on it.
14: No, yeah, but I, I mainly brought up those issues because I I do want, like, I think your content is great and I do want, like, more people to find it and I understand social media and it's a, it's a mess. So these little things matter. and Yeah
1: but, yeah, and, but I'm, I'm
14: glad you are aware
1: so. i'm aware I, I i'm aware that there should be time stamps i'm especially because we put these hour-long episodes up like i'm aware that we should do clips of the longer episodes that are titled to a specific topic so that people can just click into that without feeling like they have to sit down and watch a whole yeah hour's worth like of content. what people
14: don't know is when podcasts in general have the separate channel for clips like typically there's like at least two people working on that alone yeah like yeah. it is not easy
1: <laughs> it's a lot of work honestly armand he works very hard Ben before him worked very hard and i i, I feel bad about putting anything else in their plate. like i see these things and i'm like it would be nice if x y and z happened but i just i feel really reluctant to ask because i know everyone's really stretched and armand has another job you know there's a lot going on
14: yeah, also I so, calling for Nick to become a speaker And I am about to get to the to Where the is he, topic. you guys?
1: Like, he's not in the queue <laughs> You guys keep saying, like, Nick, if you want to come up Get in the caller queue Don't just lurk he down there in the, the queue, listeners Because
14: I don't see I you see it. I see him
1: Where? Oh, wait, this is Nick? Nick, I thought you had a different avatar Wait a minute Um, I thought you had the RBN avatar I thought this was just like some other random person named Nick is this Socialist MMA Nick or is this like just a dude There's called a Nick. Nick with the No, this is socialist. Nick Godfrey. Nick Godfrey is a Nick Cruz. Do you see like Socialist MMA or do you just see Nick Cruz? I yeah, mean, Nick I Godfrey. see
14: Socialist MMA in the queue. In the end.
1: In the queue or in the listener? just within the listeners?
14: No, in the queue for caller.
1: I see Sean at the end, Rika, Gary, Jonathan, Isaiah. I see him
14: in between Gary and Rika.
1: I do not. I do not. That's so weird. You guys all see him between Gary and Rika? What the what in the horror story is happening right now? This this feels like
8: Wait. Did this Kong is so weird. I just do not have see him. <laughs>
1: you guys I swear to you I'm not I see Sean, Rika, Gary, Jonathan I see no one in between and I see Nick Godfrey between Tucker and Clifford what the I don't understand Charlie Charlie from Colin I see you help me understand what's happening (laughs) this is wild I don't know what to do about this. I don't know how to fix it. Okay. B Yellow says they don't see him either, so it's not just it's not just me. Refresh the app. Okay, but am I going to get kicked out of my own call if I exit out you? <laughs> okay, what uh, what can- doesn't see either? Cute name. is Okay. All right. I don't know what to do about this. I don't know what to do about this. And also, like, I, I really do want to talk about, uh, talk to Nick because I want to congratulate him, but here's what we're going to do. I've got to wrap it two hours today because I got to do a little prep with Katie for tomorrow. Um, but Nick, I hope you will come back uh, for Monday's episode. Cause I want to talk to you specifically about not just your appearance today, but um, general strike because you're someone who's really kept the torch for that going for a long time. And I think it will be an even better conversation after we've all listened to Monday's episode. So if you have time, please call in. If there's a time that works better for you, let me know, and I can make sure to start a little earlier, a little later, so we can make sure to grab you. Everybody go uh, and watch RBN segment that they did today on Nick's appearance on Rising, and we definitely will be having the RBN crew back on Rising, hopefully on a semi-regular basis, because I loved it. I think the audience loved it the producers like when there's clicks the segment did well um, you all take care of yourselves I know the queue is still pretty long you know that I love a three hour episode as much as the next person but your girls at her wits end I'm going to get my road fixed so I can start playing cool outro music again I'm having a little bit of a technical issue truly it's a chibe up in here everything's falling apart but I'm getting it together it's the weekend it's going to be a restorative weekend we're almost there <laughs> Love you guys. Keep the faith. Take, Take care of each other. Bye, Zed. Right.
0: Wish I was a lion in the tall grass. Wish I had a pilot in a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can haul ass and travel with portable speakers playing Bob's scats. I wish I had a million dollars. I wish I had a million albums. I wish I had a million problems. That way, I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man yeah. I wish I was a comedian Late nights it comes syndicated on TV land I wish this well had water in it These kids are stealing all my pennies Focused on my wealth You can help me wish But I would rather wish for help It's like, it's like I wish, I wish And every time we dive in, field, it feels just like this Like this, I wish, I wish That every time we do it It feels just like this I wish, I wish That every time we love it, it feels just like this It feels just like this It feels I wish I had a time machine Wish I had a better rhyming speed Wish that I could speak to giants After climbing up a green stalk That grew from my lightning I wish that I could spread my wings I wish that I am Yeah that way I'd hold on to everything and laugh when I hear people wishing for the better things. I wish I spoke fluent Spanish. Dímelo, dímelo. At least I kind of understand it. <laughs> wish that I could throw the deuce like Gambit and get so large I could play pool with the planets. Yeah. I wish I was an astronaut. I wish I knew more classic rock. <laughs> Focused on myself. You can't help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like... I wish, I wish, that every time we love and it, it feels just like this. Like, this, like this. I wish, I wish, that every time we do it, it feels just like this. Like this, like this. I wish, I wish, that every time we move and it, it feels just like this. It feels just like this. Just. It's just like, like who the you We would turn some dumb shit into something that got everybody wild in our circumference make assumptions. It ain't nothing new. Fuck a motherfucker, you.